to see you today. Uh, I missed you last week. It is freezing, so I'm going to preach from over, over the vents. That means I can go extra long. The, yeah, this is, this, is a, this is a step in privilege. We can put a chair over that vent for whoever wants to have that special seat. Well, this is the last week in this series, The Good the bad and the body, um, which is, I don't mind that it's the last one. I mean, it, it, this has been good, but like, I feel like I feel everything this series, and so I, I've been joking the last couple weeks that I, I would love to talk about something else, like eating mashed potatoes as a, as a sermon, and then just go eat mashed potatoes. Um, there's a lot that we haven't said. There's a lot that we haven't even come close to talking about, because there's a lot of places where our body and faith intersect and a lot of things that we need to be talking about. Um, and so I'm just acknowledging that. And I want to let you know, maybe mark in your calendar on January 15th, and I'll get you more details when we have them. But on, on January 15th, Nikki and I are going to lead us start some slow invasions again. Uh, and particularly around this conversation. So if you weren't a part of them, Slow invasions are kind of a few-hour groupish thing where we just ask some questions, we have some experiences, we walk through some ideas together. It's interactive. Um, It'll be on Sunday afternoons. I think it'll be once a month for a while, as long as it's helpful. Uh, We are going to go through some of the exercises from that book that we talked about this summer, My Grandmother's Hands. And so we're going to go through some of those things. We're asking some friends to help us out who have a lot of experience with that. But we're going to kind of explore in more of a dialogue setting how to practice some of these ways that faith and the body interact. We're not going to do anything intimidating, and you can opt out of anything any of the days. Nothing's a forced thing, but I think it'll be a helpful way to keep this conversation going and actually hear the questions that you have and the experiences you have and all that. So we'll get a bunch more uh, information, but it'll be January 15th, which is a Sunday. It'll be in the afternoon. We'll get exact times and location as we get closer, but just want to let you know about that, okay? Well, as we finish this and we head into Thanksgiving, we're going to talk about gratitude in vulnerability and gratitude in our body. Like, how do we actually live, not just where we have a faint recognition of being thankful, but like, how do we actually start having those moments where we're really experiencing in our body actual thankfulness for what we're walking through? So let's pray, and then we'll, we'll explore that together. Jesus, thanks that you took on flesh Thanks that you walked on on this earth on feet that felt the ground. When you sat, you felt the chair. When you related to people, you felt those deep belly laughs and that heartache. You felt pain and hunger. You felt thankfulness. Thanks that you know what this is like, and when you invite us into faith, that you're inviting us into something that is embodied, that is more than a checklist of things to agree with, but it's actually a, a way that we in our body trust you 
as our God. And so help us to explore that even a little more this morning. In your name, amen. So I, I was out of town last weekend, and um, I was talking to a few people and said that we were in a series on the body. And they're like, why are you doing a series on the body? I was like, that's interesting. A lot of people have asked that. And uh, they're like, I don't think I've done a series on the body. I don't think I've heard one. And I was like, that, that probably is part of why we need to be talking about it. It's because we don't ever talk about it. And it, it, in talking to this friend, it reminded me of kind of why I wanted to start. So we're going to go back to the start and then look at this thankfulness. And we're going to start by looking at a couple pieces of art. And we're going to bring it up on this, which might be a little hard to see, but we'll, we'll figure it out. So here's the first piece of art. Who is this? Yeah. How, how do you know that that's Abraham Lincoln? There were beard, no mustache, forehead, cheekbones. Yeah, a combination of features. Any, any one might not give it away, but all of these together. Okay, what do you feel when you see this? When it first popped up, what was your emotion? There's not a wrong answer. Good old honest Abe. I know him. Right. How do you feel when you go like, and we're all different, but like when you go to uh, Kentucky Kingdom or you go somewhere like that and they have the caricature people there or you go to like a, a festival and they have the, how many of you, how many in the room are excited to sit down and get caricatured? Nobody here? Okay, some people love it because there's always somebody sitting. I don't know if they're paid to sit, but there's always somebody sitting. Little kids seem to be more open to it. I feel like I don't know the amount that you would have to pay me for me to sit in that chair and have you do this to me. <laughs> I could tell you what you would highlight. How about this, this piece? Who's this? Yeah. It's Abraham Lincoln. What do you feel when you look at this one, particularly in, in response to the other one? More formal? More flattering? Yeah. I think it's interesting, though, a lot of the features we know him for aren't here, right? He doesn't have his, his beard. It, did he wear a hat a lot, or do I just think he wore a hat a lot? Yeah, yeah. He doesn't have a top hat on. He's a little, looks like he might be a little younger there. So this, uh, 
This one was painted by George Peter Alexander Healy, which we just don't have enough names. People back in the day, if one didn't stick, maybe the next three will. But he painted this actually a few years after Lincoln was killed. But he, he, he loved the president. And he had, the president had sat in some group paintings for him before. And uh, from what I read, he looked at four different paintings of, of Lincoln and put this one together. Uh, he didn't, Lincoln didn't actually sit like that alone for a painting, but this was done as like his, his affection for the president. This one is usually hanging in the state dining table, uh, dining room, but it previously was owned by the Lincoln family. And Robert Todd Lincoln, the president's son, said, I have never seen a portrait of my dad which is to be compared with it in any way. This was his favorite. This was cherished by the family and then given to the National Archives. They've kept it in the White House, except uh, apparently Nixon didn't like it, moved it, and then they moved it back. Um, but this is like a, a piece that people cherish. There's, there's two state houses that have replicas of it as they are uh, running their state representative meetings. They have a big painting of this to remind them of the president and remind them of all, all that that represents. So I have you look at those because I, a very real question, how do you see you? This is part of the reason that we're talking about the body, faith and the body, God and our body. When he says that we're beloved children, he's not talking just about your soul that's somewhere undefined. He's talking about you, as you. But which one of these would you, would represent the way that you see yourself? Are you a bit of a piece of art? Or as my dad used to say, are you a piece of work? <laughs> you, know, you, you know that phrase? That, that's a little less complimentary. When you think of you, do you think of these characteristics that you can exaggerate and, and kind of be made fun of? Maybe your, your worst that are, are then biggest and, and most pronounced? Or do you see yourself as someone who's cherished? He's cast in, in a different light. How you see yourself really, really matters. And I, I started to realize this in, in myself, my family started realizing, as we kind of started to shake off this, that phase of COVID, when we started to see each other again. I'm, I mean, nothing is ever done right now, but like, when, I remember when we started to meet in this building and all those kind of things, and things were a little less zoomy, and we were able to be with people. I remember looking at me, and I remember thinking, man, I could have been like on that elliptical six hours a day. I could have been doing a ton of things. Why did I have so many donuts? Why did I, why did I finish Netflix? Why, why did all of these, like, 
why did I spend time like that? And I remember really veering into this caricatured self of me and being like, and, and sometimes conviction is okay, right? This wasn't conviction. This was shaming. This is, was belittling of myself. Nobody else was saying it. I was saying it. And then I remember talking to a couple people, and I remember reading some stuff, and then Nikki and I would talk and saying, you know what? This body, whatever I like about it, whatever I don't, this body got me through. Your body got you through. Everyone in this room made it through a global pandemic where that same time was filled with the exposure to real societal issues, real pain, real problems in our culture, in other cultures, all over the place. This body that you're in has got you through. That's worth something. That's worth recognizing. And if you've got some aches and pains and you've, you've got some things that could be caricatured, that kind of makes sense because we've been through some stuff. And it's pretty amazing how our bodies continue to rejuvenate and heal. How they process things and they remember things. How our, our bodies actually remember things that our minds can't. Nikki reminded me again this week when we just both had a day where we're like, ugh, I just feel sluggish. And then you go through and like, oh, there's some family pain on this day. My mind didn't remember, but my body did. Our bodies know. They're pretty profound. No wonder the psalmist says that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Even when we have something that won't heal, even when we have something that isn't great, this spot on my nose that's been cut up for a year and a half, that's like a tiny little part of me that's not healing. The rest of me is rejuvenating. The rest of me is figuring it out. Processing stuff that I should take in, like water and good food, and processing everything else that I take in that I shouldn't, like gallons of coffee that I call water. And our bodies make it. Not on our own. God's, God's doing this. I'm not... But, like, it's pretty profound. And it's, it's kind of... I'm realizing when I caricature myself like that, that picture of, of Abe Lincoln, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of insulting my creator. When I'm acting like this is me, I'm insulting. Now, if you, if you do this kind of art, I'm not picking on you. If you are a caricaturist at Kentucky Kingdom, that's wonderful. I'd love to see your work. Don't do one of me. I'm not secure enough. But you're fantastic, and that's an honest way to make a living. I'm just saying... If we walk around and inside of us, that's what we see, that's how we interact, then we are not even going to read Scripture as Scripture is to be read. We're not going to experience God as we are invited to. And so I'm going to read us a psalm, and I want to invite you to just kind of soak this in. I'm going to read it a little slow. And I want you to imagine, no, I don't want you to imagine anything. I want you to just pay attention to what, if you're feeling anything, if your body's responding. Actually, when it speaks of us, imagine you, not some theoretical 
thing, okay? Imagine this being a literal invitation. So this is Psalm 100 uh, for anyone who wants to read along or just likes to know that I'm not making things up. Here's what the psalmist says. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is he that made us. We are his. We are his people and sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Anything stand out to any of you? It's okay if it didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Sarah said she didn't remember the, the part about us being sheep and God being shepherd, though that's in a lot of scriptures, not remembering it being in the middle of this one. Yeah. So who in here feels comfort at the fact that, like Martin just said, he owns us, we're his. Who, who feels like that's comforting? And is it, does anyone feel like that's like, he owns us? You know, I mean, like, I, I think it's good for us to pay attention to that in, in ourselves. No, no, no. I know you don't mean it negative. I, I, I know you mean it as a, yeah, he embraces us. But I think some of us, if we're not paying attention, some of us actually do feel like a, a, a uh, we are possessed, not like demon-possessed, but like we are, some of us have a resistance to that. Some of us feel real comfort in like that we're his and we belong, and then some of us will feel like, no, I don't, I don't like that. I want to stand on my own, and it's important to know why. Some of that might even come to the idea of, is God good or not? If God is not good, I don't want to be his. Yeah. 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 And, and that's exactly what I'm, that's great. Susan's saying that she lives in a lot of more freedom that she, than when she grew up, but then this idea of if we're his, well, then I've got to kind of keep the rules a little bit again and can bring some like, oh, uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's, okay, this is exactly why we've got to be talking about this. Uh, I, I think this is important. Because like, yeah, what if we're not feeling gladness? Can we still walk in? If we're not feeling joyful, are we still allowed? Or do we have to like stay at home until we feel better? Or do we have to fake our way there? All these things, like, they're in us, but we don't always feel like we can say them. Well, partially because we can't always say them. <laughs> it's, not just, it's not just you. We're not always in settings where it's safe to say, hey, am I welcome? So just so we're on the same page, you are always welcome in this community. You have a place at this table. Okay, it's not a table, but we talk in that imagery a lot. You have a place at the table no matter what you're going through no matter what you're feeling. And we're not studying this verse as a way of, like, correcting your emotion. But, yeah. If you'd like to, yeah. Yeah, that's great. So for Zoom, uh, Derek just read through the Eugene Peterson, the message version, and talked about particularly that we were, were gods again, that we're at home here. Um, kind of emphasized that, said other good things too, but really this emphasis of, of the feeling that we get from being home. Um, So from where you are right now, what does thankfulness look like? We're coming into a season where we've apparently nationally agreed that we'll be thankful, right? And I would say, for me, it's kind of my favorite holiday. It might sound weird because it's not centered on Jesus. And so, there's, there's really no gifts. Um, it is emphasis on being slow and being grateful, and those are really helpful things for me. Um, and hopefully still centered on Jesus. It's just not, you know what I mean. Uh, but what does it look like for you, and what has it looked like? I've been thinking about Thanksgiving growing up. So you guys know I grew up in, in Minnesota and a big family, 
and there would be like close to 100 of us who would get together on Thanksgiving Day. And we'd all go into my aunt's house, and she had this massive basement, which I don't, I would love to go see it now, because it feels like it was like a stadium when I was a little kid. I don't know how big it actually was, but it, I mean, it was just massive. And she had all this cool furniture, and she had all these cool, like, things that make no sense. I don't know if they were actually that way, but they're in my memory. But I remember they had a pool table that I never saw anyone play pool on, because I always saw it with this big piece of wood over it and food everywhere. And then there was a serving table next to it, too, so there's like two giant tables of food, and it was like, there was a turkey, but let's be honest, not many of us like turkey. Like, it's, we like it in deli form, but otherwise we're like, ah. So we had turkey, and then we'd have meatballs and ham and uh, lutefisk, and, which is like pickled fish because we're Norwegian and all these other things. That was like in the corner for my uncles. Uh, but all of these meats and all of these, everybody brought a dish. There was layered jello. Do you all have that? Or pretzel jello. People would put pretzel on the bottom of jello, and it tastes okay the first day, and then the second day, you're like, what are we doing here? Because it's all just soggy and awkward. Lots of jello, lots of salads that are not healthy. You know, there's lettuce, but then there's a lot of things we would do to the lettuce to take any health out of it. Um, it was lovely. And I remember half the time I would be crabby going there. And then we'd get with the cousins and we'd get with everybody and we would make these 17 plates apiece and we would roll out hours later and it was just cards and laughing and eating and watching football and some people would be watching uh, The Wizard of Oz and all of this stuff would, would happen. And then my dad and a few of his siblings would go do the dishes and every year my dad would get in trouble with his sister because my dad loved to hide dishes. So he would take really, really dirty dishes and hide them in like the shower or under a bed. I remember the last year he hid the meatball pan in the back of the toilet, which isn't a good look. She actually got mad at him that year. But, like, this was just, like, how they played. And then now here we are, like, 20, 30 years later. And my uncles and aunts are all, like, my grandma's age. And I'm my dad's age. And my kids are older than I was in these memories. And it's all shifted, and we're... We have different spots and different places, and some of them still get together, but then other families are like their own unit. And then here I am down here, and we don't, we don't go back up, so it'll be, Thanksgiving will be us four and my mother-in-law. And, but some of those things, like nobody hides the dishes because I do them, but some of these things like live on. And I like eat the stuffing, and I remember all of those things, and Part of me is a little bit sad because some of those people are gone and others I don't get to see. And ours is a little quieter. And yet there's joy and there's meaning and there's richness and there's flavor and there's, you feel it and you experience it and you remember it. You guys have some of that? 
even when it's like kind of lonely, there's, there's something to the like experience of togetherness and of gratitude, and it's in us. And that's part of what, what I'm trying to get to here. If we read like that, that psalm, we can read it and it is all just out here, make a joyful noise, but we never actually, like you know what's usually before the joyful noise is the like frustrated noise. The, the, the aches, the groans are usually there before the joyful noise. I, if there's uh, somebody asked me if there were was things I could change in the church, I said one, one little thing. I, I, I love this community, but I, I would love if we were okay if someone walked in and just had to let out a shout. And we weren't like, ah! I don't think we would be, but like, we won't know until it happens. But like, sometimes there's that, right? And before we can be joyful, we've got to like, ugly cry. We've got to sob. We've got to ache. We've got to yell. And if that's embodied, that's what happens so that eventually we can make a joyful noise. And it might be one of those things where you like ugly cry and then all of a sudden it turns into a laugh and you're like, I don't know what that happened, but that's a very embodied thing. We can't be afraid of it. All of these things are actually embodied. We're to serve the Lord. That's a physical thing. We're to come into God's presence. That's what this is. Like, that's what we're trusting that we're doing here, right? We're coming in. We're walking in. We're zooming in. There's an active thing here. And we're knowing that it's he who made us, that we're his. Look at where, where we are as sheep. We're his people and the sheep of his pasture. There's a lot said about sheep in the Bible and in, in these times. Sheep are raised for sacrifice. We're not sheep who are being slaughtered. Or being sheared. Or watch a sheep get sheared. They don't look like they're very excited about it. We're sheep that are in the pasture. We're protected. We're fed. We're cared for. Maybe even laying down and catching up on rest. And you might walk in here and you're like, I don't feel that. I'm not countering your, what you're feeling. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying this is God's intent. This is what God has for us. It might not be today. It might not be tomorrow. But this is what God wants for you, for me, that we live in this reality. And there might be a whole lot of things we got to go through before we get there. But this is what God has for us. And some of this in, in bodies that feel the temperature and... and, and and feel the, the rain before it comes and all of this kind of stuff that we're at. We can also feel these moments of God's with us and we can feel the memory of other times where we knew that God was with us. And we can feel and we're invited to feel a gratitude that, that this is what God intends for us. Not just in our end, but like we talked about a couple weeks ago. The intention is for now. Fully in the end, but the intention is that we know some of this now. That we have these 
first feelings of being home now. And that they just create more of a stirring and more of an ache for more of that. And we don't belong in theory and we don't belong because we believe the right things. But that we belong because our faith, our faith is simply in in God. Our faith is that God intends this for us. That this is the, this loving kindness in here, this uh, steadfast love at the end. That's that hased word that we've talked about over and over again. This is the God committed to you. This is the God being through thick and thin, loyal to you. Like you can't shed him, you can't shake him. That's God being that like friend from elementary school or high school that you can't get rid of because you have too much history together. You're not going to shake God. And God's intent for you is good. And God's intent for you is that you know what it feels like to rest securely. God's intent for you is that you can belly laugh again. That you can be made whole. All of that. And I do believe that the more that we are allowing our faith to impact our actual body and our actual everyday living instead of just theoretical, the more likely we are to know that and experience that here. In the midst of sorrow, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of all of that, that's why faith is fascinating. This week, I will be praying that we all get to experience some moments where we stop and pause and we're able to be truly grateful for whatever it is, however short or long our list is, that we can say, okay, God, this, thank you. Or all of this, this whole buffet, thank you, whatever that looks like. And that we know that that doesn't mean that we're turning off everything else and we're saying nothing else exists. It's a way of saying what we believe to be the truest thing. In its caricature, I could make fun of me left, right. I could tell you all the things wrong with me. And I lived that way a long time, and I thought that faith required that of me, that I, 